0: Hello waffle lovers and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com I'm your host Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota, I'm always excited to join you to talk about Minnesota sports. I'm glad you've decided to join me as well. Welcome, as always, to those of you who tune in each and every week here on 365sportscast.com. And welcome to those of you who may be tuning in for the first time. I hope you'll enjoy things and will want to come back for more. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional, I've got my first returning guest this week. That's right. I've now been around long enough. I'm bringing back somebody. Andrew Neuer is back this time to talk about the Vikings and the Timberwolves. Here we go. Joining the program this week at 365sportscast.com. My first return interview, Andrew Neuer is back with us. Last time he joined Whatever Flips Your Waffle, we talked uh, about twins. Today we're going to kind of switch our focus and look at the Vikings and the Timberwolves. Andrew, welcome back to the program.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Andrew's got a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of uh, pots and pans on the stove, so to say. He, if, you, if you check out Let's Talk MN Sports.com, he's got a ton of, of material on there about all your favorite Minnesota professional sports teams. You can find him on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins or Wolves or Vikes or Wild. And then uh, I think you have a podcast as well on the anchor.fm network? Yes. Yeah, okay. So a lot of things on there. I mean, if you enjoy the stuff we talk about here weekly, you're certainly going to enjoy things that that Andrew has on there. So um, I want to talk Vikings first. They've kind of finished off. They've done their OTAs, their mandatory mini camp. Um, Just start kind of the biggest reactions that you have of, of a couple things that we've seen that have come out of these things that have happened post-draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing is just the wide receiver room. I think mean, we kind of knew kind of all the depth we're feeling, Justin Jefferson, and then you have K.J. Osborne, et cetera. And then kind of the news about Amir Smith-Marsad being injured, that was kind of a – it was almost just kind of thrown in there. And I think if it was first brought on to, like, people's – like. Like it first brought on to like the idea when they saw him at the, I, think, I believe it was Adam Thielen's softball time where people saw him in a boot. But apparently I guess it's not that serious, but I think that was also kind of one thing that I talked about a lot in the podcast. I was like, okay, maybe we thought maybe he'd be the fourth receiver, but I mean, it just sounds like it's not serious, so that's right. good.
0: But right. Plenty of time I and mean, they've got like, what, six weeks off here or something before training camp starts. You know, and, and even you throw in there, they signed Albert Wilson as potential. Yeah. Uh, BC Johnson is back from injury from last year. Um, I've speculated that our wide receiver depth and talent is possibly better than anybody in the league.
1: No, for sure, and that's like kind of like what that's that's like really what caught my eye is because now you do have all the BC Johnson back. You have you signed Albert Wilson. You have all these players that can kind of contribute and. Even if Smith marset is injured and he's going to miss a couple more weeks, it's not really like a huge hit to the offense, like to get them kind of going before the season starts. But yeah, it's—I mean, it's a good thing to have. It's a good problem right. to
0: have. Yes, yeah, a little bit like the Twins and starting pitching these days. Um, yeah, yeah. So when you know, bring this up in the new new coaches and new systems and everything, and and kind of what. What I've been seeing and hearing as the Vikings go through these OTAs in the mini camp, you know, they haven't really been going full speed. It's more about learning the system, and Coach Kevin O'Connell talks about their intelligence and understanding things.
1: Yeah, and I think, and we've seen a lot of comments being talked about with not even just like jabs at the former <laughs> coaching regime. We're seeing now they're talking about it's going to be more modern day offense or they're going to be passing more instead of running, which I think. Obviously, you want to hammer giving Delvin Cook the ball because he's one of the best running backs in the league. But then at the other side of it, you can be like, well, if he gets less touches, maybe he stays healthier for a couple more games. So
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and and we've seen, too, they fiddled a little bit with maybe Delvin Cook lines up at wide receiver sometimes, and, and why not? I mean, um, you know, you could have him out. You put your best offensive players in the field sometimes.
1: Yeah, and he, he's... More than capable enough of being receiving back, we've seen how successful he could be in that category. I think another player is Erasmus Junior. Getting him back is going to be—it's going to be just another elite weapon for Kirk Cousins to find. Whether it's going to be Adam the or Justin Jefferson, now he has Erasmus Junior out there. And as well as as great as Conklin was, he's not that same offensive player as no. Erasmus Junior can be. So no. I think that's another angle as well.
0: Right. And, uh, do you have any concern, because I, I know he's still coming back from his, his injury last year, Irv is, um, about whether he'll be ready, any indications that he won't be ready for for training camp?
1: Not that I've seen. It sounds like he's been good to go. Nothing's really been brought up to attention maybe he's a little slower, maybe he needs maybe an extra week or two to get into a full strength. I think he's had enough time where
0: I think he's just ready to go. Yeah. Well, I, I was reading too how they brought over. Uh, he played for the Rams last year. Uh, Munt, his first name eludes me right now, um, as another tight end. And uh, you know, if O'Connell's bringing a guy over that he's familiar with, that can only help the system too. Whether you know he's backup or whatever, but um, I'm picturing some unique offensive formations, and I'm even picturing the idea of of Delvin Cook lined up at wide receiver and Alexander Madison in the backfield. I mean. Yeah, and you put Jefferson and Thielen and whatever. How do you How do you stop that? I
1: mean, yeah, no, it's going to be. I think in the I think last year we saw maybe like their offense try to carry the defense too much, especially when they would give up a lot of deep passes for a touchdown or just giving up way too many blown coverages. And I think if you could see how good that offense was last year with maybe a more conservative offense, it's only. You can only imagine how good it's going to be now with a modern-day head coach who is coming from the Los Angeles Rams, who knows how to win, who knows how to maybe specialize in a certain area.
0: Right. I See, I'm picturing, too, my mind starts thinking about fantasy football, and I'm thinking, boy, how high are these Vikings skill players going to go in a fantasy draft this year? I mean, Delvin Cook would be a given, Justin Jefferson probably. But you're going to have a guy like, like an Irv Smith Jr. might be – a top tight end just because people are expecting that explosiveness.
1: Yeah, and I think he could even be a sleeper pick, to be honest, because he missed all that time or right. maybe he's not on your radar. Yeah. And I mean, he has the potential to easily go off or be one of the top five tight ends in the league.
0: Yeah, right. Now, what's going to hold them back offensively? Is it the offensive line and that kind of inconsistency we've seen? Um, is that the one sticking point that can keep them from being a really special unit?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, if, you, if you're looking at, if you're trying to nitpick at things, maybe it's the how complex, maybe the offensive coordinate, like how sorry, how complex the playbook is now. Because Adam Thielen said on uh, Pat McAfee's show that this is the most learning he's had to do since he's entered the league. So it's either gotta be like something around those lines, or maybe it is the offensive line. Maybe they didn't get another. Because it's had a lot of players on the line, but most most of it's kind of just depth. I'm sure some of those guys will start, but in the whole like long term, like bigger picture, I don't really see. Maybe by week 8 you we're gonna be thinking like, hey, maybe they should have done a little more
0: here. Right, right, yeah. I just I, I it's that concern because the offensive line has been that that sticking point for so many years now. It seems like, and I think, wow, boy, we could do this and this, but you also have to give Kirk Cousins some time. Uh, back there to to find his receivers, and you want to go deep, and you want to do this and that. So hopefully, um, you know, uh, Garrett Bradbury certainly on the hot seat this year. They didn't, um, you know, pick up the option on his rookie contract. So maybe he's got something to prove. Maybe he finally steps up and does something.
1: Yeah, and hopefully he's. I mean, it's him. I think you can look at Garrett Bradbury, and I think you look at Wyatt Davis, who. I think a lot of us thought he would maybe start at some point last season. He never did. So he's another one of those guys, you know, guard help is probably the biggest area of need because, I mean, you have Dersaw, the left tackle. You kind of saw a good bits and pieces of it, but you never really saw the full thing because he didn't start till late. And then obviously you have Brian O'Neal on the right side, who's been rock on the Vikings line for yes, just a really long time now. So yeah. I think maybe Wyatt Davis steps in, maybe you see a little more from him. Garrett Bradley, Garrett Bradley kind of finally shows us what we've been missing for a while now. Yeah. is a reason we draft Number one, he's athletic. But yeah, it's, it's a huge like, kind of X factor part of the offensive line for sure.
0: Right. We've got uh, Andrew Neuer back with us here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle. We're talking Vikings this week. Uh, talking about offense, let's switch over to the defense. In addition to you know everything else that's changing on the defense, is Ed Donatello gonna make a huge difference. I mean is is, is he one of those you, know, you talk about bring new coaching staff but but Ed Donatel he knows what he's doing out there.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for me that's getting me really excited is the whole switch to a three four. I think that's where Minnesota's gonna find a lot of success and we've done the four three for quite some time now. And if they bring back Anthony Barr, which is where he'll exceed like he'll succeed the most, is because I mean, he had how many sacks at UCLA? It was like eight, eight to ten or whatever it was yeah, back I think in so. college. And that was a three-four defense, and we've been kind of misusing him in a way. Right. And I think moving to a three-four where he can be on the edge, where he can rush the quarterback with his physical strength, his body, and everything. I think that's going to be huge. Do
0: you, Do you think? I mean with the with the personnel we have and bringing in people like Zayarius Smith and stuff, this three-four defense is is absolutely the right move, right? I mean, anybody else that this is really going to help as far as that switch goes?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think that's that's another play you bring in. You brought in Zadarius Smith. You brought in Hicks from Arizona. Those are like, you're just bringing a lot of guys who are going to be able to really contribute to that 3-4 where they're going to maybe have a little more speed on the outside. And I, it's going to be more, I think we see a lot of, I don't, know. I don't know if you'd like the word to use, but it's going to be a lot better in a sense, especially because they also signed Harrison Phillips at Minnesota. If I look it up, I don't know. They were like bottom five or whatever it was in stopping the run. And Harrison Phillips on pro football focus had a top five run defensive grade. So you upgrade in that area as well. So not only do you have guys on the outside running in, but you also have a guy who is one of the best at stopping the run.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and that it was obvious watching them last year that that was oh my gosh that <laughs> you and I might have been able to get some some good yardage out there. Uh, is that you know much like changing the offense and, and the references Thielen made to having to learn so much? This switch to a new defense is that going to take a lot of time to figure out too, or is that easier switching defenses because you don't have? I mean, your playbook isn't nearly as deep.
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm not as worried about it because I think we've seen them maybe bring in a couple more guys that would specialize in the 3-4 versus the 4-3. So I think I'm not as worried about that as maybe the offense where they're going to have to do more up, up, route running. They're going to have to block a certain way where the defense, they're just bringing in guys who will be able to come in, understand the defensive scheme, and go from there.
0: Right, fill their gaps, kind of read what, the, what they think the offense is running, and uh, react to the ball. How about our yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah? How about our our rookie class? You know the draft picks. Who do you see as being able to step up and having an impact right away, compared to being maybe more of a, a long-term developing prospect?
1: I mean, it feels like a cheap answer to say the top two picks, but I think <laughs> just because our secondary was so bad last year, and we let go Xavier. uh his Last name. Sacred Woods, Yeah. We got rid of him. Yeah. so he, He's no longer there. He's gonna have a little. So we have Lewis seen now in the in the safety position. And then you have Andrew Booth Jr. I mean, if he can stay healthy, yes, that's great. But it's kind of a cheap answer. But at the same time, those were like the two biggest needs, and they kind of filled that in a way. So and that's I think why, those are the two guys that are gonna step in. Yeah, and
0: that's why you draft them so high because you expect them to be able to, you know, play immediately. And again, yeah, yeah, we've heard O'Connell say, "I'm going to put my best players in the field, even if it's you know, not necessarily the position you would have them listed at on the depth chart." And so that you know, conjures some images too of what this could look like, um, because that that secondary just it it got so picked apart last year, and partly because there wasn't pressure on the quarterback often enough. But um, there's a lot of hope. Have you gotten over yet? Um, I still struggle when I stop and think about it. Trading draft picks to the Lions and the Packers is that set, sunk in? Like, okay, it was it was probably okay, or are we going to regret that down the line?
1: Yeah, I'm still 50-50. on it because obviously trading within your division could come back to bite you in the butt and everything. But I know I've talked to someone else on the podcast on my podcast about. I was like, you know what? Like, whatever. It's kind of the Lions, but at the same time, they are kind of building something. So maybe in five years they look a lot better than they obviously do now. The Packers, obviously that scares me the most just because Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, all the success they've had, but it looks like it hasn't really come back to, I don't know, I'm not, I can just draft picks, they could either be a hit or miss, so it's hard to tell now, but I think maybe in five years we're going to regret the Detroit one more than Green Bay.
0: Right. Well, and Kwesi's come out, he's explained his rationale, and, and it's just it. I think we're getting used to a different mindset than when Spielman was here. Kwesi's um, shown a little bit of what he intends to do, and still we got to, you know, in five years we might sit here and talk and look back and say, wow, he's really made some brilliant moves, or he might say what in the world happened? Um, but it, it's, they're they're doing, again I can I can draw the analogy to the Twins a little bit. I think they're trying to do without completely tearing it down and starting over. They think they can be competitive, and they're adding the pieces. If it blows up this year and they're not, you might see a lot of changes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think Minnesota's just been running it back with all these guys for so long now. It's kind of like, yeah, well, it hasn't worked in the past couple years, so why are we continuing to try it? But we're seeing a little bit more now with this new regime. They're changing the defense and now they're adding a few more guys and letting some of those like familiar faces go, which I think is going to be better in the long run. Because, I mean, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen
0: now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about offense. We've talked about defense. Nobody ever wants to talk about special teams, but I look at that, and, you know, coming out of the mini camp, it looks like Greg Joseph, quote unquote, won the kicker competition. They had brought in some, some competition. Um, but I looked at last year. You know, I thought the special teams was probably the best it had been in a long time, and yet they're still bringing in that competition, bringing in a competition for a punter who I thought did an okay job last year. But special teams, as we've seen in the past, can make a big difference.
1: Yeah, we—I mean, we had a lot of success, obviously with Percy Harvin in the past. He had Cordell Patterson, Kenny Nuangu was huge, and. The kicker turns and that helped the offense, you know, get better field position or get, you know, six points on the board. Greg Joseph was, I mean, knock on wood, he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's hard to like it's hard to complain when the guys not missing as many kicks as we've seen in the past. So right, our it, standards are a little lower than probably most games, but yeah. I thought his success was really nice to see.
0: We'd all like to have the Arizona game back, but you know, at the end of the day, that probably wasn't going to make a huge difference. Uh, who knows? But yeah, is anybody going to kick to us this year on a kickoff with with our man back there? Or are they just going to say, nope, we'll squib it, yeah, kick I mean, it short?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, we've seen in the past where some teams just do not want to kick to certain players. And with the football being lined up, so now closer, allowed, I don't even remember the line it is anymore. I haven't watched football, obviously, in so long. Yeah.
0: Uh, 25, but, isn't it? Instead of the twenty, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's something like that. It makes sense. I mean, <laughs> it's been a couple of months. I mean, I need a little refresher, but yeah, or yeah, I mean, we're oh. seeing now more kicks into the end zone, or you know, into the stands. We're seeing now. I think the kicking, if it were up to me, I'd get rid of kick returns, just because we don't really see much of it anymore. Right. Kind of, most of them usually just, you know, take the kneel in the end zone, and that's about it. It's just kind of like, well, do we need that commercial break extra
0: commercial break there? Yeah. So. <laughs> now I'm second guessing myself. Maybe it's the 30. I'm trying to, I'm getting confused with where we put it in high school and everything else, too, but that's not, not the point. So I, I look at that, too. And I, th- I think if you're Greg Joseph, too, and you, hey, I had a little competition, but I proved myself, you know, um, confidence is everything with these kickers. We've seen that over the years, too. And so um, hopefully that makes a difference. Uh, when you look at the schedule, I'm sure you've gone through this. What do you, what are you thinking as far as a potential record? I mean, can we can we contend for the division? Are we a wild card? Are we still on the outskirts? I, I'm guessing you're not Colin Coward who thinks we're winning 16 games.
1: I did <laughs> not admit, I did not believe that he put that <laughs> up there. I was still like, maybe I, maybe it's just like someone making it up and not saying something on Twitter. But yeah. oh, he said it. Yeah, I, like, I believe on my podcast I was talking about maybe. Ah, oh, man, what was it? Realistically, 10-7. and 7. I'm getting a little, like, optimistic at this time of the year. I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's going to be 12-5. and 5.
0: Right, right. My first reaction was 10-7 and 7 as well. I looked at that and I went, well, you know, I think you can split with the Packers. I think, you know, some things like that. But there's always a game that you should win that you don't. And the key is, do you win games that you shouldn't? Like, is uh, my biggest no doubter is I don't think you can go on the road to Buffalo and win this year, but if you were to you know you pull off an upset because they happen um, there pushes you toward that more twelve and five that you're talking about too
1: yeah, and that's like kind of where I was thinking I was like you split with the Packers, you probably win more than fifty percent against Detroit and Chicago combined, and then you have you know New England on Thanksgiving, so that's kind of a little scarier just because I mean they're not obviously the same New England team, but it's still New England. It's yep. still Bill Belichick. Yeah. So you have to look at that and yeah, Philadelphia early. Maybe they're maybe they're a little bit on a hotter start. I think they're kind of a wild card team where they could really be one of the better NFL teams, but obviously the NFL NFC East is mostly a joke in the past, so I'm not really too <laughs> worried about that one. But yeah,
0: can we beat the Cowboys yeah, for once this year? Is it possible that we can beat the I don't Cowboys? Know. I just, oh, it it drives. And you know, look at like playing Washington. I don't know if I'll get used to saying the Commanders, but um, the Kirk Cousins revenge game maybe. But uh, again, that's a that's a team you should handle. You know, but there's these other ones like like Arizona. That's a a tricky team to try to figure out sometimes. And who knows? We can sit here and speculate all we want. Um, and at the end of October. We might have no idea yet. <laughs> you know, it might, yeah. it, it'll be tough. It's it's a tough start. You know, you play the Packers to start the season, I think, is is really difficult, and then go on the road to Philadelphia. But in my mind, if you split the first two some way or the other, that's okay, and you can kind of get on from there. So, um, hope. Yeah,
1: the biggest key is just playing the games in division and at least splitting with Green Bay. If you go 0 2, you're giving Aaron Rodgers two extra games to right. you know, have that tiebreaker on you.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's so important to try to beat them at home at the start because i think they they finished the season at green bay and at chicago in january that's not that's not ideal um and and we've seen in the past that that's difficult to win those cold weather games and and you'd like to not have to worry about a must win in chicago in the last week of the season
1: yeah exactly i mean you're you you do not ever want to go into week seventeen like hoping you're gonna win and I guess a divisional opponent, it's going to be even a lot more
0: difficult. Right. I don't really fear the Bears this year, but they're still no. the Bears and, you know, like I say, division rivals it, it doesn't always matter. You can throw the records out the window. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, I'm excited about training camp. I think everybody probably is and, um, uh, you know, we'll see how the, the Vikings progress and a little time off to let all this sink in. We're here with Andrew Neuer. You can check out his website, Let's Talk mnsports.com. Find him on Twitter with all kinds of let's talk. Uh, no matter which professional sports team you you like, uh, you can find his podcast on Anchor.fm as well. Uh, a lot of things Andrew's involved with, and we're going to switch gears now, and we're going to talk Minnesota Timberwolves because the NBA draft is approaching rapidly as well. And and Andrew being an expert on all things, uh, I said let's let's talk that too. Let's let's just review a little bit, Andrew. Ending of the season, you know, everybody's excited. Think you have a chance against Memphis, and then um, a, a typical sort of Minnesota ending. We find ways to blow leads. Is there, did it give us more hope for the future, or is this just another Minnesota flame out that we're getting kind of used to with our pro sports teams? Yeah,
1: no, I, I mean, it's hard not to be a little disappointed. I don't think anyone had maybe, I think mean, you could maybe be a little excited about where it was, you know. Seven seed, you're a little better than a seven, seven seed because you were 10 games above 500. You had success against Memphis and all those blown leads. You're thinking, yeah, if they, they should have won a series, ideally, but you are playing a two seed. You are playing a team that's better than you. So, I mean, they're not like a team where we saw in the past with Jimmy Ball or Jeff T, where that's going to maybe flame out over time. This is a young core. You got a new, exciting, team with Jaden McDaniels, you have Chris Finch, that coach, he's, I would say he's already one of the top 10, 15 coaches in basketball. So it's not really like one of those things where you're thinking our window is two years like it was with maybe Jimmy Butler. You're thinking Ant's only 20 years old, Carl Anthony Towns is what, 26, whatever he is. Even though like, you may have to look at the timeline and be like, well, they're a couple of years apart. Yeah, I mean, by the time Ant is 24, 25, reaching his Peak. I mean, you could still say, say like, "Hey, Carlton Towns is only 30 years old. He's still he's still a guy who can help win games." And to me, it's not really something I'm worried about. I think they're gonna still be one of those heavy contender teams maybe in the future. Like we've seen Phoenix, like we've seen Memphis.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Chris Finch, and, and you know, I haven't heard anything negative about him. He just he seems to get along well with the players. They he he. He does what we those of us who are teachers try to do where you you have some discipline and you hold things to a line but at the same time you let your players or in this case for me my students be who they are without, you know, having too strict of of rules like everything has to fall black and white. That's what I always think of when I think of Chris Finch. Yeah, no,
1: I think where we saw maybe in the past with Ryan Saunders, he you know, he's a great guy, everyone loved him, he was a players coach. He's he saw Tom Thibodeau, he was more of a, I'm gonna work harder than everyone else, I'm gonna be a little stricter than everything. Players didn't maybe like it, it's hard to find maybe the personnel, the players, everything to kinda have the stars align essentially. But we're seeing with Chris Finch, he has that like nice fine line of, I'm gonna give you a little more criticism here, but at other times I'm gonna be like your best friend essentially, so we like we saw, in that final game of the series where he benched D'Angelo Russell, you might be on the max contract, but you're not playing well, so you're going to sit the bench. Right. And we've seen in the past where players kept rallying around him saying, hey, this is the best coach. This is, I love playing for Chris Finch. So it's kind of a nice mix of both, essentially.
0: And that's got to help us when it comes to free agency at different times. You know, hey, we hear this, the guy's great to play for. Uh, let's go to Minnesota, which you don't hear too often.
1: Yeah, Minnesota's not a free agent destination, so if you can have this, you know, new ownership coming in, all these new faces, it's starting to look like Minnesota is not maybe like what we've seen in the past or where we see Sacramento, et cetera. It's kind of like Minnesota's on the up and up. We're signing all these new front office coaches. We're getting all these different players, like really, like, well respected front office, like people from like around the league we're, yeah. we're picking them up it's, it's it's weird it's I don't know how to like describe it. it's just like <laughs> something you don't ever we're just not used to that it's it's different
0: no when the timberwolves have been relevant, it's been for like you say a year or two at a time and and that's it, you know, and then they kind of fade away again for a long time and you mentioned the front office luring Tim Conley over with granted a lot of money. And a stake in the ownership. And, and some people were worried that, you know, um, um, I, my, I lose my names. They, the, the guy they fired last year and then they have the interim step in kind of, um, and he seemed to do fine. Did you need the change or is this guy so good, Conley, that it's worth everything to to bring him in? Yeah, I I've, I've kind of struggle with it
1: because I guess if you're going to do it, might as well do it now. Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laird are supposed to take over, you know, the team in a couple of years. So if they believe Sachin Gupta is a guy, you might as well do it now and maybe get that foundation started. And while I think he made the right decision of not making any moves, it might've come back to bite him up out there just because maybe, you know, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laird are two guys who are risk takers. they like, they almost like someone who's going to go out there and really, Kind of put himself out there. And I don't know. If, and Sachin Gupta hasn't really shown that he's that guy. Right. I think he deserves the front office position. But Tim Connolly is a guy we've seen in the past where they don't want Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lloyd. They don't want the guessing game like, will this guy stick? Will this work? They just went out there, essentially took a guy, plugged him in, and said, here you go. Run this team like you've done in the past, and we'll have success as well.
0: Right. I because mean, probably maybe the biggest thing Gupta did was he extended Patrick Beverly. Who's you know been a, a great defensive player for the Timberwolves, um, so yeah, we'll see. You you mentioned benching D'Angelo Russell earlier. Do you foresee him being on this roster next year? Or are they going to move on? Are they going to try to trade him? Um, is it time to say goodbye?
1: If it were up to me, and you didn't have to worry about. In a vacuum, I would say, yeah, you need to move on from him just because we saw what he did in the playoffs. Obviously, he had a really good regular season, so it's hard to be like, yeah, this guy was really good all season, but the playoffs, he was, he was terrible. I mean, players have bad playoff series. There was only one series, so maybe next year, I mean, he had the experience with Brooklyn, so you can't really say, well, this is his only time really But Yeah. I don't know. It's With the amount of money he's making, if he was making $10 million less, I think we'd look at it and be like, yeah, stay with the team. You're a good player, but because he's making that max contract, because he's making over thirty million, it's hard to be like, yeah, take up, you know, what is it, thirty percent of the salary cap, right? So yeah, and in that sense, I think you have to look. You have to look to move on from him. I don't think you. Ha- I don't think. I don't think you should look to move on from him. What you get back, is kind of a little bit more difficult. And I think we're gonna see maybe. And start the season on the roster, and then as the season goes on, maybe you move them at the trade deadline. But then at that point, maybe if you move it at the trade deadline, then you're ruining team chemistry. And at that point in the season, maybe it's not worth it if they are in the playoff to be you know, like, why would you get rid of your starting point guard who's averaging 18, 19 points a game Yep. at that moment in time?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really, we'll, we'll see, you know, it'll be one of the first key things for. Mr. Conley, when he steps in there, is you know, how are you going to handle this? And and like you say, great regular season, kind of flopped in the playoffs. And hopefully that wouldn't, you know, put him in a bad place mentally or, or angry or whatever. Um, hopefully he's a professional and realizes I wasn't playing well. And you know, uh, in any sport, if you're not playing well and somebody else is, for the betterment of the team, uh, you got to sit down. So uh, let's talk draft number 19 pick. Do they stay there? Do they move up? Do they trade it seems more likely they would trade back, if anything?
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's tough because, you know, like I've brought in a couple scenarios where I'm like, hey, maybe this guy is available at nineteen, but are you reaching at that point? But if it's your guy, you know, who says you can't just drop him at nineteen. But everyone, you know I mean like I do the same thing, like, could you move back four spots, get that player, maybe gain a second round pick. But Minnesota already has the two no, three second-round picks, sorry. Yeah, three second-round picks and the 19th pick. So are you moving back and gaining another second-round pick? At that point, I don't know if it's worth I mean, maybe you package those two second-round picks and move up in the yeah. draft as well. So there's a lot of different scenarios and a lot of stuff Minnesota can do. Now maybe you package Malik Beasley in the thing to move up, or maybe you package the 19th pick and Malik Beasley to get maybe a power forward, etc., yeah,
0: right. And and or I mean, you could you could look to the future, too, possibly trading for some stuff in the future. But that's it's a little trickier in the NBA. You know, you're not going to get first round picks, and you don't ever know where that's going to fall, and protected picks, and who knows what. Couple names to throw at you: uh, Walker Kessler, defensive standout. How would he fit in on this team? Yeah,
1: I mean, I wrote an article about him. I talked about him on podcast. Most of my coverage on Let's Talk com has been through podcasts. I've been spending most of my time doing the Twins. So (laughs) if you're curious about, obviously, draft stuff, I've covered centers, power forwards, small forwards, and this week I'll be covering guards. But Walker Kessler was probably my number one because I don't think Mark Williams will be there at 19. Jalen Duran, I'm a little bit skeptical of just because he doesn't really have an outside shot. For Walker Kessler, I've shown you, he can maybe shoot in the future, maybe becomes that 33% guy. He's seven foot, already 250, 260, whatever he is.
0: Best defensive player in the draft, you know, he blocked in four shots a game, was it? Yeah, I think so, I yeah. Mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe he doesn't fit in the scheme of, you know, they don't want to do drop coverage and all this stuff, but... Personally, if a guy can protect the rim like that, he can grab rebounds, I think you could see a nice fit alongside Carl Town. Towns. He's a guy that I think, if I'm drafting in the center, and Mark was off the board, he's my number one guy. Right. He's probably top five on my draft board.
0: Well, and because defense and rebounding were big struggles for the Timberwolves, I mean, throughout the season, and it was really amplified in the playoffs when you can't hold a lead and and can't defend the rim, and so... That makes sense to me, too. Now, that one more name to throw at you, Terry Eason.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is a guy who reminds me of Marcus Morris, kind of your super athletic. The only negative to his game is that he doesn't maybe pass as much, and he's he doesn't really have any starting experience. He's a second-year player. He's coming off, what is it, or starts in like 30 games so not really like any experience so maybe long term he's just like a spark plug off the bench but you have to like his athleticism you have to like his shot making there's a lot to like about him he's a player I would be interested in 19 but just because of his maybe lack of passing and lack of starting games kind of scares me a little especially when you have Anthony Edwards especially when you have Jaden McDaniels two players or even Towns, DeAndre Russell just like all these guys who need the ball and then you throw him in there and it's kind of it's going to be difficult to see how like, how the Rock is shared
0: essentially. Right, yeah. We're just not used to the Timberwolves having a draft pick this late. Maybe that's part of the problem. You know, It's its where they are yeah, in, the, exactly. in the lottery and, and everything else. We've got Andrew Neuer on whatever flips your waffle this week here on 365sportscast.com We're talking Timberwolves with the draft coming up. What else, You know, depending on who they end up drafting, what else do they need to, to do in order to move into kind of the upper echelon of the West? Were you challenged for home court advantage, you know, being in the top four in the West? So you have uh, home court in the first round of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is going to be finding that backup big or maybe the power forward. Or if D'Angelo Russell's not the answer point guard, maybe move on from him and slide Patrick Beverly at the one. And I mean, you have Beverly and McDaniel's power forward that you traded for in company Towns or maybe it's Kronvary Towns you sign up or you draft a power forward it's I don't know it's going to be interesting to see what they do but the biggest need is going to be getting help on the glass and figuring out what you need to do with D'Angelo Russell because his contract is coming up and I think that's the big like, elephant in the room
0: right and and really another year of experience for some of these guys, that makes a difference too, you know. And, and staying out of the play-in tournament, and just little things like that, I think, because you know, like Memphis, a year ago was kind of in a spot where the Timberwolves were, and then they, you know, through experience and some additions as well, you know, moved up in the ranks pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, and I think having those guys go through maybe a couple of those blown leads, while it might have sucked to be there and experiencing all these different emotions next season if they're in the playoffs and they have a 10 15 point lead maybe they're they realize what they need to do this time around to make sure that doesn't happen again it's kind of just the growing pains we saw with milwaukee we've seen it with other teams in the past as much as it sucks to go here now this experience is going to be so valuable for these guys next year and down the line
0: so you're saying there's hope we got hope (laughs) we have a chance yeah um by the time this airs, um, as you and I are talking, the NBA finals are tied two games apiece. By the time this airs, one team will have a three games to two advantage. Um, I, I had seen that you had predicted Golden State in six. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> still there's still a chance.
1: Yeah, there's still a chance. I don't know if I'm feeling too confident. <laughs> I'm still sticking to Golden State winning. Maybe it's in seven, but I don't know. I, it's. Boston looks so good. It's so hard to be like, yeah, Golden State. I was feeling really confident in Golden State just because of their experience, but I would say I'm 55 45 Golden State now.
0: Yeah, it's tough. The Celtics have been, have been doing. I think maybe they've taken this while Golden State's going to win. That seemed to be what they were hearing, and they said, well, I'll just hold on. We're here for a reason. And um, Yeah, I
1: mean,
0: yeah. And
1: both are a really good defensive teams, so you're seeing defense again. Show up like it has in the past with teams that are in the finals,
0: right? Yeah, you don't get there by just scoring 140 points and winning by five in a game. That's not what the NBA finals are about. Um, no,
1: exactly. Yeah. That's why Brooklyn kind of fizzled out. They try to go for that with Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant.
0: And not happening. Yeah, right. And so, it, you know, and, and even when you mention a team like that, we're we're seeing this. You don't have to have like a big three or whatever. You you have to play as a team. You you know you do that and you you win a lot of ball games.
1: Exactly, and that's kind of where we saw maybe Minnesota run into some problems in the playoffs, where it was a lot of whose turn is it now to take over the game, or who's going to get us out of this, you know, this good, like offensive rut. Minnesota maybe needs to find that point guard instead of Daniel Russell, like we saw what Jordan McLaughlin did when he came in at game six. He was passing the ball, getting others involved, right. and that's where the offensive spark came in. It wasn't just like. You go out there, do ISO, or drop 10-15 points in a row, it's finding guys that'll pass the ball, get others involved, and that's usually what gets the offense going. It's not usually three ISO players out
0: there. Right. Yeah. Well, we've covered the Vikings. We have some high hopes for them this year, at least to get back to the playoffs. Talk about the Timberwolves. We think that they could have some opportunities to move up again. Andrew Check him out, let's talk mnsports.com. You can check out his podcast on anchor.fm. Find him on Twitter as well with all the Let's Talk various sports teams in our area. Andrew, thanks for coming back to the program and uh, talking Vikings and Timberwolves.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, we'll be right back. A quick shout out to Mark and AJ, the guys behind the scenes at 365 sportscast.com back in New York. They kind of got this whole thing rolling. I'm having a blast. I hope you are, too, listening. I hope you listen to some of the other shows on the network as well. Check everything out at 365sportscast.com. If you have arrived at this show because of some promo work or anything else, I'd love to hear from you, um, you know, what you like about the show, what you think could be improved. Email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. And now it's time for the state of Minnesota sports. A little addition to the Vikings talk that we had with Andrew Neuer. Um, The other day they signed just a small signing, but you never know. Um, Andrew Mintz played for the Broncos last year. He was an undrafted rookie, Um, had some hamstring issues and everything like that. But he is um, another edge rusher. Uh, outside linebacker would fit really well into this new defensive scheme. And so, you know, it doesn't hurt you to sign these guys and see what they can bring to camp, whether it's competition, depth, whatever. Um, clearly the Broncos had seen something in him, and they've been a defensive-minded team for a long time, so maybe that would work out well for the Vikings. When we look at the uh, the links, uh, it's hard to hold out hope for much longer for the links, um, you know Sylvia Fowles has been hurt. Kayla McBride got hurt the other night. Um, things are falling apart, and they're they're you know losing to teams like Indiana, which aren't very good either. Boy, it's hard to say. It's time to pull the plug on them again, as we've mentioned in a, in a league in which so many teams make the playoffs, but you can't just keep doing this with limited roster space and people being hurt and and a shame for fouls. Who knows what this is going to do for the rest of her final season here. Uh, but things things don't look good for the Lynx right now. And if they could turn it around and certainly have some talent to do that, it would be a great thing. But just like we saw with the Minnesota Twins in 2021, you know, you start losing some games early and some things happen, and it's hard to get that mental frame of mind back now they're professionals of course and it's it's different than you or I playing you know pickup basketball or or beer league softball or anything like that but uh, this could be the end of the Lynx playoff run. hopefully I'm wrong We'll have to stick around and and keep an eye on it Let's finish with our Minnesota twins this week in our state of Minnesota sports you know, there's a lot of lot of talk they went into that nine game stretch playing at Toronto home against the Yankees home against the Rays and if you would have told me they're going to come out on top five games to four overall five and four record in there I would have been pretty happy and then you look at some of the games they let you know they let a seven to three lead get away against the Yankees after just crushing Garrett Cole, and you're not going to be able to say that often. You might face Cole again later in the season or possibly in a playoff series, and he could dominate you, and you can't take advantage of that, and the bullpen fell apart. It just it was frustrating. I remember after the Twins hit the back-to-back-to-back home runs in the first inning, my wife Michelle said, well, they better win this game. Well, they didn't. Uh, Yeah, you should win a game in which he hit three home runs in the first inning off one of the best starters in Major League Baseball. And they failed to do that. And those are the frustrating kind of things where, again, can you get over that hump? Can you put yourself among the elite teams in Major League Baseball? And I still think that the Twins are a good team, but they're right below teams like the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers, those kind of teams that people are expecting to make a run in the playoffs, possibly be in the World Series. Uh, you know, if, if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, too, you look at They've lost four out of six to the Minnesota Twins in a very competitive American League East. If the Rays miss out on the playoffs, they might look at something like that and say, wow, uh, you know, we couldn't even go 500 against the Twins. Those kind of things make a difference. Um, And. So if you're in Tampa Bay, well, I don't know how many people in Tampa Bay care about the Rays, but if you are, you're thinking, we, we've missed out on opportunities. Just like the Twins will look and say, geez, if we win some more games against Detroit in a big series, and and if we can pull that one off against the Yankees. You know, I know that it's, it's day-to-day and there's 162 games, but at the end of the season when you've missed moving up in the playoff ranks by a game or two, you look back at some of those games that you feel like you should have had, those games you feel like you should have won, and they then they do stand out. Boy, remember that time we blew a four-run lead to the Yankees, uh, and that one extra game would have made a difference. Yeah, you can point back to those, and you know it it, get, it gets a little frustrating. But again, the Twins are in first place. They have some um, big series coming up. When you think about uh, Cleveland in the near future. First, they're they they're in Seattle uh, right now. They won their, their first game in Seattle. Byron Buxton's been on a tear. You know, he goes into this deep slump, and suddenly he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark like nobody's business. Um, they'll head down to Arizona over the weekend, um, and then you face some stretches where you've got Cleveland coming up um, for a couple Key series, and if you can take it to the Guardians, win two out of three, win two out of three, um, and Andrew and I talked about that a little bit once we got off off the interview. Talked a little bit about the Twins. It's so a win two out of three, win two out of three. Keep doing that, and you're going to put yourself in the playoffs. Keep the Guardians at bay. The White Sox are falling off the face of the earth. Um, Tony LaRussa's on the hot seat. I he tried to justify walking intentionally walking a guy with a one two count. I can't buy that in any frame of mind. You can pitch around a guy, make him try to chase something, but I don't think you ever intentionally walk somebody with a 1-2 with a and two count. So LaRusso's time may have come in Chicago, the team that many of us, myself included, thought would take this division quite handily this year and be a contender uh, to go to the World Series. But you're in Seattle. You win the first game. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, they've at least won two out of three in Seattle. Uh, perhaps look at a sweep. Um, Arizona, not great. Again, win these games that you should win. And, you know, I'd like to point out a few guys that have really stood out. The the first game against Seattle, Chris Archer, threw four innings again. And I've not been a huge Chris Archer fan. I thought it was a good signing at the the start of the year. Hey, here's a guy who, if he works out again, um, good to go. You can count on Chris Archer for four innings. That's about it. They're still apparently trying to build him back from injuries that he's had and everything, but those are the games you've got to count on your bullpen. You better have your bullpen set up for a Chris Archer game, and they did against the Mariners, having guys come in and pitch an inning, pitch an inning, pitch an inning, and Emilio Pagan finished everything off. Uh, The Emilio Pagan experience has gotten a little bit better as of late. He's been more solid and not making these really, really interesting when he comes in there, loading the bases, full counts, that kind of stuff. Um, He's been more effective, and that's a good thing to see. Uh, You look at some other people as well. Gio Urshela stands out to me as one of the great parts of that Josh Donaldson trade. Urshela has been solid. He's been in the lineup all the time. As I say, that means he'll probably get hurt. Um, He gets hits. Big hit. There, there was a, a stat that in uh, close and late settings in a ball game this year, Urshela is hitting 381. Well, all right. There's a guy you want to have at the plate in those situations. So Urshela has been very solid defensively and making making some um, noise offensively as well. You look at Trevor Larnick at the start of the season. None of us were going to say Trevor Larnick is an everyday player, but there he is. Um, Once he got past that groin injury, um, he's been out there. He's been raking a little bit more. Uh, That's what you need to have. Pitching-wise, Devin Smelter, he has to be here to stay. I don't even think he's got any options left. You've got to keep Devin Smelter up there. I don't care how you work this and finesse this when when these guys come back from injury and um, Sonny Gray is coming back. Uh, from injury, whatever it doesn't matter. Devin Smelzer's there. You know who you get rid of? Dylan Bundy. He's been bad. He, he gave us three wins at the start of the year, and he's been bad ever since. He just he he doesn't have the velocity. He doesn't have the control. It might be time to cut ties with Dylan Bundy. If it's a choice between well, what do we do here? Well, you keep Devin Smeltzer. He has proved himself. I mean, he's three and zero. He's got a two point three eight ERA. Why would you not keep a guy like that compared to the guy with the 7 or 8 ERA who just can't can't get batters out anymore? Again, it was worth signing him to a low-risk contract at the start of the year. But now we're at the stage where the Twins are in a playoff race. You can't throw him out there every five days. You just can't do it. You can keep working with Archer. He's made more starts than anybody in this team because so far he's stayed healthy, and and hopefully that continues too. But Bundy... It's it's time to say goodbye uh, to Dylan Bundy, if if that's what it means to keep Devin Smelter. Another person to point out Griffin Jacks out of the bullpen when you need somebody to come in, and and you know get a hold in a late inning situation. He's not ready to be a closer yet, I don't think. But the idea that his fastball is up about three miles an hour, two and a half three miles an hour from last year, that's pretty impressive. Uh, he's throwing around 95 miles an hour on his fastball, and he 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 you know he comes in in crucial situations. I was leery at the beginning of the year based on what he had done last year, but he has really evolved. And a lot of credit goes to Wes Johnson, the pitching coach. I think he does a nice job with these guys and, and shows them what needs to be done. Developing those young pitchers, a Griffin Jacks, a Devin Smeltzer, those kind of guys. Even uh, Chris Archer gives a lot of credit to Wes Johnson for helping him and, and giving him some new ideas about how to pitch. I mean, Archer's been around for a while, but um, Wes Johnson has kind of helped him find some some new tricks to get batters out, and and that's a really important part of it. That's You know, we look past – Rocco gets bashed a lot and everything, but I think Wes Johnson's done a fine job and has helped the Twins pitching staff become a little bit better this year, and that's what they're going to have to be. So – Big series coming up. Every series is a big series when you're in the playoff mix. You hate to lose a series, um, and you just, like I say, two out of three, two out of three. Keep people healthy. Keep Buxton healthy. Keep Correa healthy. You know, figure out how to keep Luis Arise in the lineup every single game if you can. (laughs) Give him a day off every now and then. But, man, here's a guy who all of a sudden he's hitting some home runs. He leads the league in batting average on base percentage. He has been a spectacle to watch, and hopefully very worthy, certainly we would think, of an all-star selection for Luis Arise this year. We'll have to see how that plays out next month. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On June 15th in 1964, the Twins obtained Jim Mudcat Grant from Cleveland for less staying and a great trade for the Twins. Of course, Mudcat was a great pitcher for the Twins during their glory years in the 60s. On June 15th in 1992, former Twin Jeff Reardon broke Raleigh Fingers' saves record with number 342 while he was pitching for the Boston Red Sox. That record, of course, has since been broken more than once. On June 15th in 2008, Scott Baker became the first Twins pitcher to strike out four consecutive batters in one inning. One, of course, reached on a wild pitch, and then he struck out the next guy as well. So four strikeouts in one inning. Twins still lost 4-2 to two in Milwaukee. And on June 15th in 2019, the Twins retired Joe Mowers, number seven. On June 16th in 1982, Frank Viola, sweet music, picked up his first career win in a 5-2 to two victory in Kansas City. He would, of course, go on to be a key part of the 1987 World Series Cy Young Award winner after that before being traded to the Mets. In 1991, on June 16th, the Baltimore Orioles ended the Twins' 15-game winning streak by scoring three runs in the ninth inning of a 6-5 win. On June 17th, in 1993, Major League Baseball owners voted to expand the playoffs for the first time in 25 years, adding a wild-card team. That would start in 1995, only because 1994, of course, was the lockout. On June 17th in 1997, the NHL announced that they would add a franchise to Minnesota in the year 2000. That, of course, would be the Minnesota Wild. And on June 17th in 2017, Royce Lewis signed a $6.725 million contract as the number one overall pick, the largest ever for a high school player. On June 18th in 2015, Kenny Vargas, remember him? He hit the 100th walk-off home run in Twins history in a 2-1 win over the Cardinals at Target Field. On June 19th in 1954, Harmon Killebrew was signed to an amateur free agent contract by the Washington Senators. He would, of course, go on to be one of the all-time greats for the Senators and our Minnesota Twins. In 2007, on June 19th, Bert Blylevin said he would shave his head if Johan Santana pitched a complete game shutout, which he did in a 9-0 win over the Mets. Santana took care of shaving Blylevin's head. On June 20th, in 1986, the Twins traded John Butcher to Cleveland for Neil Heaton. Butcher, of course, was kind of a mid-range starter for the Twins, Um, Heaton was an important part uh, coming out of that bullpen and doing some spot starting as well. On June 21st in 1969, the Twins scored a club record 11 runs in the 10th inning of a 14-4 win in Oakland. And on June 21st in 2011, the Twins tied a Major League Baseball record with the first eight batters getting hits, four singles, four doubles, in San Francisco off Madison Bumgarner. The streak ended... When pitcher Carl Pavano batted and was retired. The twins would win nine to two. Well, all of our sports seasons are over in the Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva area area. Excuse me. Uh, baseball had lost their game to Bell Plain. We had speculated they needed to needed to win two games. They would have had to beat Bell Plain and New Ulm. Bell Plain went on to lose to New Ulm, who then promptly uh, two nights later lost to Sibley East, the team that had first beaten our Panthers in in the playoffs. So Sibley East is in the state baseball tournament. Good luck to the Wolverines. And Quinn Van Meldingham, who was on the program last week for an interview about her trip to the state track meet, finished 13th in the prelims, but she broke her own school record running the 800-meter run in 225.87. And according to coach Dewey Ferber, you know we're single A here, small schools. Uh, If she had been in double A or triple A, she would have been much higher up in the in the standings just goes to show the great running talent that there are in our small schools. But Quinn's got four more years, and I'm sure she'll continue to make some great accomplishments as a runner. Well, that's going to do it for another Helping of Waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to join us this week. Hope you'll continue to tune in each and every week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you visit 365sportscast.com, you can also see the rebroadcast schedule in case you can't catch us when we appear for the first time. Also remember, shows archived to YouTube. You can check out this or any previous show there if you want to check out some of the interviews that we've had and uh, see if we've made any prognostications that make any sense. If you have any feedback, if you think that you might make for a good interview, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. Next week, we'll find out some more about Minnesota sports. How will the Twins be doing as they enter a part of the schedule that's really important in the American League Central? The Vikings will be off. The links. Hopefully we'll get back on. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer, signing off with